So we're still in 1 Corinthians. Let me set up a little background here for you to get everybody into the context of 1 Corinthians, where we were. So we've been talking about this issue of Christian liberty, right? Christian liberty, this, this area where we've been given certain rights and privileges, those things that aren't necessarily in the Word of God that we have the freedom to embrace in, right? So, so, and we talked about those things. And if you remember in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, the challenge was these mature believers, they were mature believers in the Lord, were writing to Paul and saying, listen, we, we've got these Christian liberties. And, you know, we, we have no problem eating meat sacrificed to idols. We have no problem going up to the temple of Aphrodite and sitting in the temple dining halls and eating this meat because we know what? There are no false idols. They're all stone and wood. There's only one true God. That's the God we serve. So we have no problem going there. They probably all said, this is where we share the gospel. We have the right to do this. Go there and, and, and eat this meat. And what does Paul say? He says, you're right doctrinally. You're absolutely right. You do have those Christian liberties. You, do, you can go eat that meat, and it, it, it's not offensive to God. He said, but what's the problem? Anybody? Good. A lot of good. Praise God. So the point was is that our Christian love for our brothers and sisters has to outweigh our Christian liberty. And the point was there were some new believers in the church, people that didn't know the word that well, people that didn't have a strong conscience. And when they saw these leaders of the church eating meat and hanging out in the temple of Aphrodite, they said, you know what? We can eat this meat too. We can go in there. But what happens is, as Kevin said, it's a stumbling block and many of them can be led back into idol worship. So we learned that about Christian liberty. Yeah, we have them, but sometimes we shouldn't be engaging in them because we might have lead someone else to fall. Some of you could have a drink of alcohol, a beer, or a glass of wine, but there's many brothers and sisters that can't be around that. If they do, they'll be tempted to fall back into, into drinking, and, and, and it's an ex-slavery of theirs. They don't want to be around that kind of temptation. Are you with me on that? Amen. Other people can't watch certain shows because... They've had a problem with lust their whole life, and if they watch certain shows, they can drag them right back into pornography. Yep. So there's certain things that we have to say no to for the betterment of the body of Christ. Amen. So then Paul, in chapter 9, which we were last week, he went through a bunch of, this is the second thing about Christian liberty, he went through a bunch of Christian rights or privileges he had as a Christian. He had the right to eat and drink. He had the right to take a believing wife, he said, if he wanted to. I mean, we could say he had the right to have children if he wanted to. And then he said he had the right to be what? Paid. Thank you. Yeah, he had the right to be paid. In fact, he gave six reasons why he had the right to be paid. And he's just giving us a, a summary of some of the rights and privileges he had as a follower of Christ. And what does he say about all these rights? I put them aside. I put all these aside. I'm not going to engage in any of these things. I have the right to do all these things, but I'm not going to engage it for why? For the sake of the gospel that some might be saved. He's putting all those things. He could have been set up in Capernaum, had his own little, you know, Paul's chapel set up down there, hanging out with his family. But he said, no, I'm going to travel this, this dark world and bring the gospel to the world because I'm going to put all my rights and privileges aside. So that was chapter 8 and chapter 9. And now today we, we get into this uh, chapter 10. And, and just to remind you of a couple of the application points from last week that ties into Paul's putting all his rights aside. 
is he calls us to live a life of self-denial and self-discipline as Christ followers. Right? It, it, that's what Paul taught us. He said, you know, you really need to have self-denial in your life. You have to say no to a lot of things in your life. And I'm talking about rights and privileges with no sin in them, but we say no for the betterment of the gospel, right? And then he made the sports analogy. We should all be living like athletes in self-discipline. We should all be saying, you know, the athletes, he said, they were disciplined in all ways, in what they ate and what they drank and getting the rest they were doing and saying no to a lot of things, right? And he says, if you really want to be living this Christian life and being sold out for Jesus, we need to be, we need to be having this this attitude of self-denial and this attitude of self-discipline. Y'all good with this so far? Okay, so so discipline in what we take in. So we were saying, you know what? I, I'm going to take in the things I should be taking into my life. I'm going to be a man and woman or woman of the Word of God. I'm going to take that in. I'm not just going to do a 15-minute check-the-box devotional. I'm going to soak in the Word of God. I'm going to have scriptures in my pocket that are really important to me that change my life. I need to focus on these verses and meditate and, and marinate in the Word of God. You know what? I, I know i got to do this too as a Christian. I'm going to be a prayer warrior. I'm going to pray for the church every day and the lost people in my life every day. I'm going to be a prayer warrior for the kingdom of God. That, that's what I want my legacy to be when I get before the Bema Seat of Christ. And I'm going to be one that's committed to the fellowship of believers. I need to be around brothers and sisters because there's days where I'm really tempted. There's days where I'm tired. I need to be encouraged. And just being around all of you does that for me. So I'm committed to that. I'm not going to miss Wednesday nights. I'm not going to miss Sunday mornings. And so it's this commitment of what we take into our lives. And then it's also the discipline of saying what I'm not going to take in. Of course, we can talk about sin, but I'm talking about Christian liberties. You know what? I'm not going to be binging on all these TV shows. I'm not going to make sure I'm current with the series I'm watching right now. In fact, I'm going to turn off my TV for a while. Maybe forever. Start to shake a little. But I'm going to say no to all these TV shows. I'm binging on television. I could be doing something much more productive with my time than that. Amen. I'm going to be saying no to certain foods I shouldn't be eating. I'm going to say no to how I'm wasting time playing video games. I'm going to say no to a lot of things. So discipline is taking in, taking in the things of God, and saying no to a lot of things that are, that are Christian liberties, but they're not edifying. They're not, they're not leading us anywhere. Believe me, I've watched TV shows and series, and when I get done, I got nothing. I got nothing. There's nothing I'm taking with me when I'm done. Oh, that was, oh, yeah. Well, I can go talk to somebody else that watched the show, right? Wow. That's a life changer. It, the TV wants to soak us in where we're just, what's the next series? What's the next series? How many, how many seasons can I get through tonight? Some people with social media, you have to say no to some of those things. You're connecting to everybody through Facebook and, and so on. And then last thing is that what, discipline and what we do. We need to be, it, it does, listen to this brothers and sisters, leading someone in this book is not just going to happen. It's something you need to intentionally put to work through prayer and effort of talking to people. So it's what we do with our lives too. Are you waiting around for someone to say, hey, by the way, I just found this book on the sidewalk. Would you mind leading me through it? It's not going to happen. You're going to be praying for people and say, listen, it's, you know what? Even when I do this after all these years, I get butterflies when I'm going to talk to somebody. Hey, would you sit down and go through this book with me? Right? They might say no. Wow. We can take a few notes, can't we? 
So it's, it, this is what Paul was talking about last week, this, this life of self-denial, life of self-discipline, and the whole idea is we're doing it for the sake of the gospel. So today, after that long introduction, we're going into chapter 10. And chapter 10, he's still talking about Christian liberties, but here what he's saying is that now I want to talk about this. So first, so first we're not going to engage in Christian liberties because we may be a stumbling block for somebody else. Second, he said, we're not going to engage in our Christian liberties because we, we want to be sold out for the gospel. We want to be more effective and productive for the kingdom of God, right? And now today he says, now let me tell you a third thing. If you engage in Christian liberties, it may lead you into sin. It may lead you into sin. You may think, here it is, what happens is we become overconfident. We become overconfident. You know what? I can handle this now. I'm strong enough now. I've been saved. I got the Spirit of God living in me. You know what? I've been in the Word for quite a while. I graduated from Wayside. I graduated from Lifespring. I'm strong enough to take on these things now. They become overconfident, and in that they fall. And the key verse here for this morning from the text is right here. At least I believe it's the key verse. Is 1 Corinthians 10, 12. It says, therefore, let anyone who thinks they, that he stands take heed lest he fall. And, and back to the Corinthians in the context of when Paul wrote this, they were overconfident. Yeah, we can go to the Aphrodite temple. We can eat this meat. We can be around all this drunkenness and sexual immorality that takes place in the temple. We're strong enough. We're never going back to that life. We're never going back to what we once were. We can handle this, Paul. Paul, we've been born again. The Spirit of God, the one in us, is greater than the one in the world. We, we, have, these, we have the Word now. We have prayer. We're, we're strong enough. We can take this on. We can go in these temples and eat this meat that's defiled. I'll tell you this, brothers and sisters, in my time here at the Oasis, I can't tell you how many people have said exactly the same thing to me. And I'm many of these are, not just, but many are graduates from the mission. And they're, and they're saying, you know what, I'm ready now. I can go back with my old girlfriend, my old boyfriend. I'm ready now. I can go back to my old neighborhood. I'm ready now. I can do this. I can do that. And time and time again, they have fallen back into sin. They've fallen back into the slavery that they left. And I can also tell you this, I don't even have a count anymore. Many of them have died. They've died. They've died of drug overdoses. They've died of gunshots. They've died of all kinds. One fell on a set of steps and he's being arrested and hit his head and it killed him. They've died many different ways, but the many have died that thought they were strong enough to go back to that life that they came out of. So the warning here is, you know, take heed lest you fall. Don't, don't be overconfident. Don't be overconfident. And that's what we'll be looking at this morning in the scripture. So if you open your Bibles, we'll, we'll get into the text. It's 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verses 1 through 13. And please stand for the reading of God's word. Our dear brother Charles will bring us the word this morning. Thank you, Charles. Oops, let me get this set up for you that don't have your Bibles open. There you go. Can't read that anyway. But. <laughs> for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. 
Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Mm. Amen. 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 Thank you, Charles. So we're going we're to go through three main points this morning as we go through the text. The first one is the blessings of God. That's where he starts off with. Then he talks about the fall of man. And the third thing, it's a warning to us. So the blessings of God, the fall of man, and the warning to us. So first is uh, one through four. This is the, the blessings of God. It's beautiful. He says, for, he starts off with, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. And what this is, this is an urgent call to listen up. I want you to, he's saying, I want you to listen to me. I have something very important to say to you, brothers and sisters. And you need to hear this. And I'm going to be sharing with you of what happened to Israel, the nation of Israel, went through the Exodus when they left slavery in Egypt and, were, and, and, went, and God delivered them into the promised land. I, I want to share with you what happened to them so that you will learn from their mistakes. So I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you this about them. He said that our fathers, isn't that nice? What is he talking about? He says that all true believers, all true believers have spirit, we are spiritual descendants of those original believers when God set up the nation of Israel. We have those spiritual fathers, if you will, we all do, that came from that original saving nation of Israel. That's what he's saying to them. Our fathers, he's saying that to us, our spiritual fathers, I want to tell you what happened with them. And by the way, was all of Israel saved? No. They were not all saved. They were not all saved. Some were saved before Exodus. Some were saved early on in that 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Some were saved during the Exodus process as they went through the Red Sea. Some were saved in the wilderness. And some were saved in the Promised Land. But never in the history was all of Israel saved because salvation has always been the same thing. It is fully entrusting your lives to the one true God. And some Israel did that and some of Israel did not. But he's saying, for those who believed our fathers, for those who were faithful and believed in God, those are our our spiritual fathers who one day we will see in heaven. Amen? Amen. I look forward to that day. So he said, and now he's going over the blessings. Don't miss the blessings. We're all under the cloud. Do you see that? We're all under the cloud. So for all of you that have studied and know the Exodus story, He led Israel by day with a pillar of cloud, right? And at night, pillar of fire. fire. Very good. I'm going to get you engaged here a little bit this morning. Uh, My grandkids have been staying with me for four days now. I'm a little tired. (laughs) Thursday, Friday, Saturday, today's our fourth day. So Mary's more tired than I am. But 
So, but the whole point is, he's saying that, listen to this now. He said, pillar, they're covered with the cloud. They have the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And he's saying that we as a people were in the very presence of the God of the universe. He was with us. We, we just opened up our tent and there was the pillar. And that's God's clear saying, I'm with you. I'm with you people. You are in the presence of the God Almighty. And by the way, what can happen to people that are protected by the God Almighty? Nothing. Unless he allows it, nothing can happen to them. As we see what happened to the greatest army of the time, the Egyptian army, they wanted to persecute them and kill them, but they could not. So the first blessing, he says, I've, I've chosen you. I've could have, I could have chose any nation in the world, but I chose you, you, the Jewish nation that had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. I've chosen you because you're weak and small and, and insignificant. And, and I want to show how powerful and how good God Almighty is. So I've chosen you, and I'm going to take you out of slavery. And this pillar will remind you that I'm on your side. And I'm going to lead you into the promised land. So the first blessing is the presence of God. He says, don't forget that all these people lived in the very presence of God, this blessing of the cloud and the fire. And he says next, and all pass through the sea. Do you see that? The other blessing is that, that God led them out of slavery and into the new land. He led them through the, the, the Red Sea and, and into the, what a blessing that was. How did he do it? Well, it wasn't easy, right? But for God it was, but he had the 10 plagues. He brought these plagues on just kind of weakening the heart of all the Egyptian people. And the final plague was the death of the firstborn. And then the people kind of gave in and then God led them away. And then he parted the Red Sea and they walked through. And then the Egyptian army says, wait a minute, we need them. No, we don't have any servants left. We have nobody to do the work. Nobody to do the building projects here. We don't even know how to do it anymore. But go get them. They went to get him, and of course the sea closed on him. And he said, what a blessing. The God of the universe chose us and adopted us and brought us out of the slavery of 400 years and then personally protected us and led us out of Egypt. Remember the blessings. And then it says they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Do you see that? You all following along with me? Okay, so what he's saying here is he changed our identity. We, we were all seen and known as slaves. Anybody who saw us, they all said, well, that's a slave. That's a Jewish slave. That was your identity. He said, now I'm giving you a new... This baptism is different than our baptism. It's a, it's a baptism in that they were set apart from their old life and their old ways into a new way and a new life led by Moses into this new nation called Israel. What a blessing. Now you are the chosen nation of God. That's your identity. And he continues with the blessings and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Do you see that? He said, and he also supernaturally provided for us. Morning, Ann. Trouble in the kitchen. By the way, we have a meal today after the service. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. We may have trouble at the, at the kitchen. So they, they ate the spiritual food and all drank the spiritual drink. We know it was manna from heaven and, and water came out of rocks and all kinds of things as he provided for them. And he's saying that, that he provided for their physical needs as well as their spiritual needs and their new identity. And this, this is interesting. In the last verse for this section says, For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. 
you know, many people could tend to think that, well, Christ's ministry started when he was born to Joseph and Mary. What, what's he doing back in Exodus? But the reality is, is that Christ has always been eternal. It's he, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are eternal beings, the, the, the supernatural one God in three. And Paul just wants to make sure they know that. So don't, don't miss this. Jesus was with us back then too. He's the creator of the universe and sustainer of the universe. So he's just saying, don't forget, it wasn't just God the Father back then. It was also God the Son and God the Spirit. And that's the blessings of, of this, this new life that he's leading them into. So here we go. We've got to stop and do a little inventory. Because that, he, he starts off with the blessing. So my question to you is, how has God blessed you? He saved me. Thank you, Cacti. It really, we could, we could go through this same list, couldn't we? God chose you. If you're sitting here and you're born again, there was a day in your life where God says, you know what? I'm going to make you one of my children. I'm going to cho- I chose you, and I'm going to adopt you into my family. Amen. I'm going to adopt you into my family. I'm going to redeem you. By the way, the cost of your adoption was very, very expensive because it cost the blood of his own son, Jesus, to adopt you. But he said, I chose you, I adopted you, I redeemed you, and I, and I brought you into my family. And, okay, so that's what he chose us. Then he led us, our own exodus, he led us out of slavery. Were you in slavery? Yes. I was in slavery. Yes. So he said, I'm going to deliver you from slavery. I'm going to make you part of this new nation called the church. I'm going to make you part of my new family. And he says, so I, I not only saved you and chose you, but then I led you out of slavery into this new life in Christ. Amen. Now, we don't have the pillar I don't know about you, but I, I don't see a pillar of fire or cloud outside my window. But he did something even more supernatural with us because he said, I'm going to do something better than have you live in the presence of God. The very presence of God is going to live in you. He says, I'm going to take my spirit. You are now my temple. And the spirit of God is going to live within you now to lead you and guide you. We all have our own little pillars living inside of us of fire and cloud to lead us in this new life. Isn't that amazing? Is anybody starving in here? Yes. You are? Okay, good, brother. I was going to say, we better get that spaghetti going, man. If you're... But my point is, is that God also, and I appreciate that, brother. So the reality is that he also provides for us physically. We don't have to get up and get manna every day or go hit a rock to get water. But God provides for his children in the physical needs of clothing and housing and food and water and all those, all those things. In fact, abundantly. Amen. So we with them are blessed. So let's go on to the second part. You're all doing great, which is the, really the fall of man. So he said, look at this, how he starts this off. He says, nevertheless, with most of them, most of them, God was not pleased. After all those blessings, most of them turned against God. Amen. Most of them. In fact, out of all those original people, how many people got into the promised land? A little trivia question. Kevin? Josh. Only two, thank you, brother. Only two got into the promised land. Crazy. But here he's talking about this general condition in the wilderness, in that most of them, and we would say almost all of them, disappointed God and turned against him. 
So what we'll see here is they were filled with selfishness and pride, overconfidence, coveting, lust. They loved the things of the world so much. How about this? They loved the things of the world so much, they wanted to go back to slavery. You know, the, the leaders in Egypt were not nice people to them. They abused them. They overworked them. They took advantage of them. They barely gave them enough to survive. It was true slavery. But these people, when things weren't going exactly how they wanted it, they'd say, I want to go back to Egypt. I want to go back to slavery. I'd rather be in slavery than be out here with, with this new nation of Israel. Now, that may sound crazy, but I'll bet you every one of you has done exactly the same thing. You, 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 there's been a time in your life where things weren't going well and you went back to what used to enslave you thinking this time it's going to deliver this time it's going to give me what I, what I need this time it's going to give me that happiness I can't see I'm frustrated I need, to, I need some peace I need some release I need to go back to my old God mm. haven't you done that? Yes. I've done that and then what happens? does it always it always delivers right? No, it, it never delivers. It never overpromise. You want to know Satan's motto? Overpromise and underdeliver. And the whole idea is just trying to get his hooks back into you to drag you deep into slavery again. And so these people were facing that, and that's what was going on in life. He says, I'm telling you this so that you will know what not to do in your lives. And here he gives this gory detail. It says they were overthrown in the wilderness. You know what that means? The bodies were scattered throughout the wilderness. It was a graveyard. Because as these people turned away and went back to their, to their sinful ways, God was taking them out. He was taking them out physically. Let me give you a little math here to just give you a sense of this. About the time of the curse when they said that all these people will die, anybody over 20 years old had to die before they would enter the promised land. All those people had to die out. So they wandered around the wilderness for how long? 40 years until all these people died. So if you do the math, there's about 1.2 million men and women over the age of 20, which means that every day they had 90 funerals. They were constantly digging graves because these people kept rebelling and God kept taking them out. Does God still do that? Yes. Yeah, he does. Now he'll give some illustrations here of these people and, and God taking some of these people out. It says here, uh, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. He goes, I'm telling you this so you'll learn something. He, and the first one he gives is, do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Do you see that in the text? What's that all about? He's talking about the scene we all know so well at Mount Sinai. Do you remember that? So Moses went up on Mount Sinai to be in the presence of God. He had to at least see the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. If you, don't, if you haven't read this in your Bible. But he goes out to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, right? And he was up there for quite a while and the people got a little impatient, right? And so what they did is they all started to pray for Moses, right? Come on now. Oh no, that's not what they did. They all started to, they wrote some new hymns and they all started singing worship to the God Almighty who was meeting with Moses and praising and worshiping him. What did they do? They built the golden calf. They, yeah, thank you, brother, sister. Everybody's good. They built the golden calf. Now, the golden calf was one of the most popular false gods in Egypt. That's where they got the idea from. 
So they built this golden calf because they couldn't wait for Moses to come down and they all started to worship it. And here's the terrible thing about it is they called this golden calf Yahweh. They acted like they were worshiping the one true God. They called this golden calf Yahweh, which didn't sit well with God. And they even made burnt offerings and, and, and other things to this God just as though it was the one true Yahweh. And so it, what we learn from that is that God comes down to, to, to bring vengeance on them and immediately 3,000 were put to death. Now let me just set this, the, see the second verse here, part of this verse says the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Do you see that? Do you know what that's talking about? Is, is that when they would go into these false temples like the temple of Aphrodite, they would worship these false gods, make their sacrifices, then they would all sit in the dining hall and they'd begin to, to drink, to drunkenness, they'd play games, they would start to dance, and most of the time it would lead to sexual immorality. He's saying, so just like that, here you are, we're up on the mountain, giving, and you're down here worshiping a false god, you, you started over-drinking to drunkenness, you started dancing and playing games, and many of you got into sexual immorality, and it says that 3,000 that were instigating this were killed instantly and swallowed up in the earth. It was nice that God provided graves for them. So one is this idolatry. He goes, don't make that same mistake. But we don't have any idols in our culture, do we? No, we don't, we don't, we don't tend to worship gods of stone and wood, but there's endless idols available to all of us here. Amen? I'm not going to go through the list. You know the list. It's too long. So he goes into a second sinful problem of the people that we're supposed to learn from. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the event that happened at near the end of the 40 years in the wilderness with Balaam. Do you know that false? Okay, so Balaam... It, he encouraged Israelites to worship Baal Peor, which is the Canaanite fertility god. So here they were. He got, he got all the people riled up and said, listen, let's worship this, this uh, fertility god and created this whole scene of sexual immorality. And God comes down and sees this and he takes out how many? 23,000. Yes. 23,000 fell in a single day. Dead. And he gives us another example here. It says that uh, we must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Do you remember that one in the Bible? It's good stuff. This is, I love this one too. This is God, God empowered Israel to defeat the king of Arad. You remember that? Maybe you don't remember this, but he, he God empowered Israel to have this mighty victory over King Arad. And then God commanded them to go around the kingdom of Edom. Do you remember this? This just blows my mind. So they're commanded to go around the kingdom of Edom. And the people said, they're all, they're all overconfident. Why, why should we go around the kingdom of Edom? What, what's with this, Moses? This is ridiculous. Let's go through the kingdom. We can defeat them too. Did you see who we just beat? We could beat these guys too. Let's... And they started grumbling and complaining against God. Blasphemy. And what they're really doing, the sin they committed was they questioned the goodness of God. They questioned, the, well, you know, God's plan is perfect, it's good, it's holy, it's right. And they started, they, they were overconfident, and they said, we can go right through here, and uh, that didn't sit well with God either.
So what did he do? He sent these, I like this too, he sends these poisonous serpents. God's always creative in ways he deals with us, huh? So he he sends these poisonous snakes into the camps and people are getting bit and they're dying from these poisonous bites, right? So the people repent. (laughs) The people repent. And so Moses builds a snake, a a bronze snake on a stick, right? You all with me on this? And if people got bit by a snake, if they repented and faced this bronze snake, they were healed, right? What What I love about it is he didn't get rid of the snakes, they were all still getting bit everywhere, right? But they had the opportunity to repent. There was still a consequence for their sin, but he provided a way that they wouldn't die. You're doing great. One more. He says, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Do you know the angel destroyer from the Bible? He's, he's the only true superhero of God that I, that I see in the Bible is God's... Uh, severe discipline bringer to the to the world so here this situation i know you guys don't like all this history stuff but korah dathan and Eberah were rebelled against god and they were killed and then all of israel started grumbling against moses and aaron's again kind of a repeating theme in the wilderness and then the destroyer the angel called destroyer killed fourteen thousand seven hundred of these grumbler and complainers and by the way this Destroyer is the one that killed all the firstborn in Egypt. This destroyer is the one that killed 70,000 men and women of Israel when David took a census. And this destroyer angel is the one that killed the entire Assyrian army. Yeah. I think we'll recognize him in heaven. So grumble. What's grumbling? What, what, what are they talking about grumbling? Grumbling is when someone does not agree with God's plan for their life. Has that ever happened to you? God, why me? Why is this happening to me? I, I should have got that job. I should have got that raise. I, should have, you know, I shouldn't be facing these consequences. Why do I have to go to Wayside or Life Spring? This isn't fair. It's grumbling. God's plan is perfect. And everything he does in a believer's life is for his glory and our good. Amen. And so we don't grumble. We're supposed to put on contentment. You know what contentment is? Yep. Peace. Amen. Trust. Faith in what God is doing in your life. You just... You rest in it. You don't believe me, brothers and sisters. We will not always understand it, but we're going to choose to believe God, trust God, walk with God no matter what's going on in our lives. We should should never grumble against God's plan for our life. And believe me, I know we've all been there, but it's this process of growing in our faith where we will walk in contentment. Okay, the last one, last section. You're doing great. Praise God. I know there's a lot of Old Testament stories here. Um, But now it's, so the first thing is the blessings of God. We talked about their blessings. We talked about our blessings. We're talking about the fall of man and the consequences for sin in our lives. And now he talks about the warning to us. It says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. Do you see that? So what he's saying is the consequences for the sins of Israel was a righteous punishment of God without any doubt. It, it, it serves as an example to the nation of Israel, but it also serves as an example for us. We can tend to think we're going to get away with it. We can often read about these events as they're strictly historical, but they're for our instruction is what he's saying. 
So if we engage in these sinful, it could be starting off as Christian liberties that grows into a sinful pattern. And when we do, we can absolutely, if you're a born again believer, please hear me, God will discipline you. Amen. He will discipline you. Because yeah. he loves you. So we're, we're going to be tempted to, to be engaged in idolatry, sexual immorality, drunkenness, testing and questioning the goodness of God, grumbling and complaining about God. But if we do these things, we're going to be facing consequences. Let me just tell you what some of the consequences are in our lives of those that rebel against God. We lose God's blessing for our life. He takes his blessed hand off of us. We lose some of our eternal rewards at the beam of seat of Christ. We lose the great privilege of serving God. And above all else, we lose our intimate fellowship with God. That's what happens. Those are just some of the things that happen that when we, we intentionally rebel against the, the God of the universe. Let me also tell you that can we ever lose our salvation? No. You never, if you're truly born again, you can never lose your salvation. Never. But what you do is you, you lose the rewards, your intimacy, and the fruit you could produce for the kingdom of God as you, as you continue to walk away from God. And then he gives us his verse, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So what happens is temptation, self-confidence, prideful arrogance. I can go back to that neighborhood. I can have a drink. I can take a hit. I can, I can do, I can dabble in these things and I'll be okay. I'm strong enough now. And he says, don't do it. If you do embrace some of these things called Christian liberties, you're just setting yourself up for destruction. You're going back to slavery. And let me say that the men and women of this church that have lived a, a godly life, a life of service, are people that put the stake down on the ground and said, I'm not going back to my old neighborhood. I'm not going back to that life. I'm not going to go back. I'm going to stay put and start a new life right here. The picture to me that I come, came to mind when I was praying through this is that, have you ever been in a cave before? And so you walk into a cave, and, and the, when you walk right in the cave, it's kind of light because you've got all the light coming from the opening, right? And that's how it feels, and, you, and, you're, and you're, you're born again, and you've got some confidence, you've got the Word of God, but as you slowly embrace and more and more of these Christian liberties, you, you're walking away from the opening of the cave, and what happens? It gets darker and darker, and what happens is it starts off with little temptations, but the temptations grow and the, the attack gets more fierce. And pretty soon you don't even know where the opening of the cave is anymore. You're surrounded by darkness. And he's warning us not to do it. And then he gives us this great verse to close with that I pray you all have memorized. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Do you all have that memorized? If not, I put it in the bottom of your bulletin so maybe you can start memorizing. Carter, are you going to get that one down? Yeah, he's going to get that one. That's a good one to have. So I'm going to quote it in New King James, but it's no temptation has seized you. No temptation has seized you. No temptation that's come after you. Now let me clarify, what's this word temptation? It, in the Greek, it means two things. It means the testing of God 
But that word also means the temptation of the devil. And in this context, he's talking about both. Right? So it's, it's referring to both the testing of God and the temptation of the evil one. Now, for example, when Jesus was in the wilderness, are you still all with me here? Okay. Jesus is in the wilderness. Who was present at that tempting and trying? God the Father was there for sure, and so was Satan. God was letting his son be tested to prove his righteousness. Satan was tempting him to draw him away from God's will and God's way. Job, who was there? God was there, and Satan was there when Job was tested. Again, God wanted to prove the righteousness of Job as a man who stands with God, a man who fears God. Satan wanted to show him that the only reason he's being obedient to you is because you're blessing him. The point is, is that testing and temptation, testing can come from God to prove righteousness, which are those trials in life. It's not directly an elicitation to sin, but when we're in trials, quite often temptation follows because you know what? I'm sick of all this hardship. I need a drink, right? So the temptation can follow the trial and difficulty. Or I need a turtle Sunday. I like that one better. But the point is, is that there, there's this testing from God that, that he brings to, to refine us and make us into the men and women of God he wants us to make us. What, how do we get through trials? Through, with faith. He wants to grow our faith and perseverance and character towards God. Satan wants to lead us into evil, to rebel against God. So the verse is, no temptation has seized you. That's the kind of temptation, trials and testing, uh, temptation and testing. No temptation, except what is common to man. Why is that important? Because here it is. We're not that special. All the temptation you think are overwhelming and unique to you, millions of people through the history of the church have faced the same temptations you're facing. It's It's not a new thing. Satan doesn't create any new games. He comes at us and, and elicits us to sin. It's, and why that's so special is because what Satan wants to tell you is whatever you're going through in your life, oh, it's unique. No one else has ever bore this temptation before. So just give in. Nobody can withstand this. But he said, no temptation to seize you except what is common to man. They've all been wrong. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Do you believe that? If you're a faithful follower of Christ and you're in the testing or you're in the temptation, God says, I will not let this trial or this temptation be beyond your ability to withstand it. I know, brothers and sisters, I'm not stupid. The storms see fierce at times. They seem overwhelming. They seem like there's no way out. But I'm telling you, as you bow your head and you stay close to God, the storm will pass. He will provide a way out. Don't give in. And don't, as James talks about, don't start playing with the idea in your mind to be dragged away. Don't even, no, right away, what you need to do is go into a time of worship. It's not about you. Don't be thinking it through. Just start praising God and praying God. Say, God, I'm going to hang on to this. That's why you have to memorize that verse. God, I know that no temptation has seized me except what is coming to me. I know you are faithful. I know you will not let me be tempted beyond what I bear. I know you will provide a way up so I can stand up under it. I know this is true. I'm going to claim this promise and keep reciting that. And, and believe me, it'll dissipate. He will disappear. Two commands. Resist the devil and he will flee. flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So that's what you're doing in that time of trial and temptation. 
is staying close to God. And he's telling us to close this section out because he's telling us how to have victory in all of this. Are you good with that? 